Let's pray for Kai, shall we? Father God, we do thank you. We thank you for the gift of your word. Father, we thank you for Kai. We thank you for the things that you have laid on uh, his heart to share with us tonight. Lord, would you come? Would you come by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you work in and through Kai? Would you direct his words to us? And Lord, for us, give us ears to hear and hearts to respond to the things that you are saying to us tonight. Would you challenge us, equip us and encourage us so that we might know more of your love for us and more of the call that you have on our lives. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And good evening, lovely people. And I'm going to let you into a secret just as we kick off um, this evening or thinking about the reading, what we have just had. And that is Sunday for us is a busy day. And get up on Sunday, go to church, go through routine, go home. Do the normal Sunday afternoon thing, sit down, sometimes fall asleep for 20 minutes or so, get up, and about five o'clock, some weeks, I go, oh, I've got to go back out. And then I get here, and I start feeling good again. I'm looking at the moment of the kind of sun coming through that window, the kind of summer evening here, and it gives just a lovely feeling. But I'm also sat there worshipping the Lord today and remembering that only a few years ago, this was impossible. What doesn't feel like that long ago, we couldn't come to church. And in fact, when we could come to church, we had to sit with so many masks on, being sat so far apart not been able to sing, if we can remember what that was like. And actually, how grateful we should be that we can come here and be here. And that's not just true for the last few years. That's true because of the country that we live in. It's not so true for many Christians across the world. It is a wonderful liberty, a wonderful freedom, a wonderful joy that we have to gather together from our scattered lives to come together, even when we can't always be bothered to come and worship the Lord. Only a few years ago, we couldn't do that. And in so many ways, it feels like the world is still suffering with the after effects of the COVID pandemic. The cost of living crisis, for example, is a big result of all of it. So many businesses are still struggling to get through it all. Churches are still struggling with it all. And at the moment, across the world, it's like we're almost trying to make sense of what has happened over the last few years. Almost every nation's governments are currently holding inquiries into the COVID pandemic. And the purpose of a good inquiry should always be to learn lessons. Should these things happen again, what would we do? What will we do differently? What lessons are there to be learned? And if there is a fault, where does that fault lie? Now, I guarantee that when the UK's COVID inquiry will come out and when inquiries across the world come out and should the source of the COVID pandemic 
ever be discovered, we will be more focused on the blame than we will on the lessons learnt. We will be more focused on the people, the individuals, the groups who are at fault rather than what lessons can we learn should this happen again. And one of the reasons why we'll do that is, as human beings, we are ever so fixated on the issue of blame. Who is to blame? When things go wrong, whose fault is it? Who can we pin this on? Who should suffer for causing suffering? And it's this issue of blame which Jesus is really seeking to address in this particular reading that our calling read out just a little bit ago. Thinking about blame and who it is to blame. Who is at fault? Of course, we worship a God of justice. We worship a just God. And in an earthly context, sometimes we do need to work out who it is that we need to hold to account when things go wrong. If you're here in St. Mike's this morning, Mark said very well about how the verse, do not judge, is often misquoted as the saying we should do nothing at all, but we should still exercise wisdom. We should still seek to follow justice. The problem comes when our pursuit of justice and our pursuit of seeking blame overcomes everything else. History is scattered with stories of injustice. Earlier on, I was flicking through social media and someone I know had been to Port Talbot in South Wales to go and see the grave of a man called Dick Penderin, who was hung for his part in riots in Merthyr in the 19th century, which he didn't do. But a scapegoat was needed and he was the one who was to blame. When I was up in London a few weeks ago for the National Parliamentary Prayer Breakfast, I was reading about the Great Fire of London and how, despite knowing where it started, the blame was put on a Frenchman who wasn't even in the country at the time. We are obsessed with blame and attributing blame, and that can seep into every facet of our life. Being outraged, being concerned, being angry. My goodness, it's fun to be angry. If you don't believe me, check out what the biggest selling newspaper in this country is. To be outraged and angry is a good thing. Or so it can feel that way. And as I say, it's this issue of blame that Jesus is addressing in this reading today. And he starts by speaking to the people of Israel about two historic events which had happened in Jerusalem, probably in recent months. Two instances which aren't recorded elsewhere in scripture, but history remembers. One particular incident which would have taken place in the temple where Pontius Pilate of Good Friday fame put some Galileans to death at the temple. And another incident where 
one of the towers of the temple appears to collapse, killing a number of people. As these deaths occurred, the people of Israel wanted to know who was to blame. For these tragic circumstances, who was to blame? And this is where it gets a bit weird. Because, guess who they didn't say was to blame? Pontius Pilate. Guess who they didn't say was to blame? The shoddy builders of the temple. The people who they believed were to blame were those individuals who were killed. Because, surely, they must have done something wrong for this to happen to them. It was a common thought process in Israel at that time to think that if you do something wrong, you will get punished. If you do something really wrong, you will be put to death. And when people died in tragic circumstances, there was a further understanding that in some way God was punishing the individuals that had been killed and they had done something wrong, something deserving death. And when we think about the history of Israel, who Jesus is speaking to in this particular passage, they had quite a right to think that way. Think about the Old Testament stories that you may know already. The people of Israel did well, God was on their side. They did wrong and screwed up, God deserted them. When they did wrong, they went into exile. When they did right, they were brought back to their land. And so the cycle went through. But that was for the nation, not for these individuals. And as such, the people of Israel almost developed a religion of thinking, if you do good, you will receive good. And if you do wrong, you will receive punishment. And they're not alone in thinking like that. That is the common philosophy of a lot of religions throughout the world. That is the common philosophy of life. In some ways, it's kind of akin to this idea of karma, which we know about already. What goes around comes around. When you do good things, you will be blessed. When you don't, well, put up with what's coming next. And this transcends religion. This is almost the religion of the secular world. This is what so many people sign up to and actually believe themselves that good is rewarded with good and bad is rewarded with bad. But there's one heck of a problem with that. And Jesus acknowledges that in this particular reading as well. And the problem is It just doesn't work that way. To one extent, yes. We read in 1 Corinthians how you should treat your body as a temple. And of course, if you eat the right things, you live the right way, it's good for you, it's more likely that your health will be good. But on the other hand, we all know stories of people who have completely and utterly abused their bodies and lived to their 102 And we know stories of people who have been incredibly healthy living, who have had tragic illness. I'll always remember at 25, being diagnosed with chronic kidney disease and going out to see my friends for a little bit of comfort. 
And one of my friends, Griff, sat in a chair, foot up on his chair, with a pint in his hand, going, Is it turn up for the books, isn't it? We do all of this, like, you don't drink. And you're the one who's got kidney disease. Ho, ho. Thanks, Griff, I needed that. That's really cheered me up. So, sometimes things happen that just aren't fair. And the reason is, the world isn't fair. Jesus, in his words in this particular passage, rebukes the claim that the people who were killed in the temple, or the people who were killed by the tower, had done something wrong. And instead, he kind of broadens the brief, as it were, and says, you know what? Everyone has done something wrong. The reason why there is suffering for all kind in the world is because of sin. It's because of original sin. It is because we live in a sinful world. God created a perfect world, and then sin got in. And the result of sin, as we read even in Genesis, is death. The results of sin is suffering. The results of sin is injustice. The result of sin is horror. The result of sin isn't good. Because we live in a sinful fallen world, incidents like the tower falling on the people will continue to happen. Incidents like the Galileans going to the temple and being killed will happen. Whether or not they were good people or bad people is indifferent. That doesn't matter. The fact is that we live in a sinful world. And I know as I say that, that can be quite a bit of pill for a lot of people to swallow. The world we live in doesn't really like talking about sin. It's okay to blame a top politician. It's a claim to blame a celebrity it's okay to victimize one person who might have done something wrong but often we don't acknowledge the sin that is in ourself this morning if we were in church you would have heard mark as well talk about the plank being in your eye and the speck in your eye as well so often we can be quick to put the blame on somebody else and not look at ourselves and forget that sin is sin is sin. In an earthly context, there is a hierarchy of sin. You'll go to jail for some crimes and have community service for others and get a tap on the wrist for other things. But in God's kingdom, sin is equal. Sin is sin is sin. And sin has its consequences. And in some ways, that's actually quite liberating because it helps us make sense of the injustice of the world. It helps us make sense of the reasons why bad things happen to good people. It helps us to make sense of the fact of why some people caught up in more sin than others. People's lives, people's pain, people's upbringing people's communities, people's circumstances. Some people have been born into such sin that it's hard for them to escape that. There's a reason why so many people 
get into so much trouble because we live in a sinful world. And it's so easy to separate us all off and say, you're the really bad one, you're the not so bad one. Roll sinners, by the way, but you're really bad. We haven't walked in the feet of this person, the shoes in this person. And this person hasn't walked in the shoes in that person. The reason why this person does what this person does and the sin that has been put on them that has led them to walk in that way, we can't judge. And when we hear phrases like, we're not the judge, that is really what it's about. Not to excuse the sin, but to acknowledge that some people just don't have it as easy as others. It's a lot easier not to steal when you're rich. It's a lot easier not to take drugs when your life is happy. It's a lot easier as well to judge people who do things like that when you're coming from your own pedestal. It's a lot easier to do those things. But the truth is, of course, everyone who has lived is a sinner. And everyone who is a sinner is destined to perish except for one very important thing. Jesus. Jesus and his sacrifice upon the cross. Jesus and what he would go on to do for the people of Israel and for us. Jesus and that one sacrifice made that would take away the sins of all the world. Jesus who just says to every one of us here today and everyone who has ever lived, all you've got to do is repent, say sorry, and your sins are forgiven. You don't have to do no big tasks. You don't have to make any giant gestures. You don't have to go out and be a superhero. You just say sorry, repent, and turn to him because he has done the work upon the cross. He has done it all. And to highlight this point in this particular reading, Jesus goes on to tell a parable. And this parable of a withered tree that we see towards the end of this passage. And as he's telling this parable, he's talking about a fig tree that's borne no fruit for three years, making a direct link between him his three-year ministry on earth, and the people of Israel. And how, by rights, that tree should be cut down. By rights, that tree should be cut off. For three years, it's borne no fruit. For three years, it has done no good. And any good farmer would know that it should be gotten rid of. But we see the servant saying, no, please, let's just give it one more year. Let's fertilize it. Let's dig a well around it. Let's get as much water to it as we can. And let's give it every opportunity that we can to bear fruit. Let's give it every opportunity that we can to repent. Let's give it every opportunity that we can to turn back to you. Jesus desires the people of Israel to turn to him. 
And he desires everyone who is alive to turn to him and receive the forgiveness that is offered by him. And he wants to make every opportunity he can to make that a reality. He doesn't just want to give three years opportunity. He wants to give another year. He wants to make everything as easy as possible to say, come, repent. And he wants us to live out the same for other people. Sometimes you can say to somebody the mess of the gospel and they'll go, not for me. That doesn't mean that it won't be for them the next day or the day after that or 15 years down the line or whatever it might be. Sometimes the church of Christ is so obsessed with getting converts they'll give one big cry out to say, come and turn to Christ and if you don't, that's it for you. But here we see Jesus saying, no, give every opportunity that you can. Every opportunity for people to turn to me. Every opportunity. Give them the ease, give them the chance to come and turn to me. Because he has made this sacrifice for all. He has made this sacrifice for all. And we need to give every opportunity to allow people to come to him. And fundamentally to receive that salvation. The gift of eternal life. The gift of eternity with him. Every opportunity to come to that. Don't just chuck the gospel out there once and say that's your one chance. Give people chance after chance after chance. Build relationships with people. Be loving with people. Be kind with people. Use words that they will understand. Put the gospel into the context of where they are. But do so not for your glory because you've led another Christian to Christ. But that they would have their gift of salvation. They would come to know who the risen Christ is. And sometimes this can take years. Sometimes this can take decades. But we are always to keep on investing. When I was a kid in my home church, there was this older guy. And he was one of the most beautiful blokes you'd ever meet. Whenever we were in Sunday school, he'd always come in and say hello. And he was incredibly cheery. Later on, I learned that he wasn't always that way. And in fact, he was incredibly angry with Christians. His wife, who's a wonderful servant of the Lord, used to go to church every Sunday, and she used to walk down the hill to go along to church. And other people would also walk down the hill to go to church. He wasn't content just to stay at home and watch telly. He would go out to the bench at the top of the hill and tell them off for going to church. He would just shout to them, you believe in a lot of fairy tales, this is ridiculous, come on, what's wrong with you? And this went on for years and years and years. And those Christians, led by his wife, every year prayed for this man. And the years went by, and he'd still sit in his bench and tell them off for what they were doing. The years went by, and he got worse. Then one day... 
And I think when he was an old man, his wife came home from church and she saw him at the top of the stairs and he just said to her, I believe. And he completely committed his life to the Lord. And until the day he died, he served the Lord so faithfully in that church and was completely transformed by the power and the goodness of God. That is the amazing Lord who is so gracious to him and is so gracious to us. That is the amazing Lord that we worship. That is the amazing Lord that the world needs to hear so much about. The Lord who wants to make it easy for people to come and follow him. This parable that this reading finishes with, finishes with making it easier for people, giving them every opportunity, but it also makes it a way that there is a time limit. While we are here on earth, we have the opportunity to turn to the Lord. But when we die, whenever that might be, the decision has to have been made. The decision has to be being made. And the call of the Church of Christ, first and foremost, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, is to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's my call. That's your call. Before anything else, that is our call to tell people about Jesus as sinners to acknowledge what he has done for us and point other sinners the way to him. That is the call of this church. That is the call of this LMA. That is the call of all the churches in this town. That is our call. We, as God's forgiven people, are called to go and point the way to Jesus. May the Lord bless us as we go and do so. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we give thanks that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ. And we give thanks that your Son is so merciful. We give thanks that your son is so gracious and we give thanks that your son is with us now and Lord we just begin now by taking the opportunity for ourselves again to say sorry for the sins that we have committed the things that we have done that we shouldn't have done and the sins that we have committed in thought word and deed and we ask that you would forgive us. And as we ask that you would forgive us, we pray that we would receive the forgiveness that comes through you. And we would, where we need to once again feel refreshed by you, loved by you, you would give us that love. You would give us that knowledge of forgiveness you would give us that knowledge of refinement. 
And we pray that any burdens that have been weighed down on us would be lifted away. We pray that we would be set free. And we pray, Lord, that you would remove from us judgment that is not right, cynicism, hatred, anger, and a desire to do things in our way. We pray especially that you would help us to love those who we struggle with, those who we take issue with, and those who have hurt us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to walk in your ways, in all ways, in the way that leads to eternal life. And Father God, we pray that we would be inspired to go and tell people about your son, Jesus Christ, and his salvation that comes through him in all the different ways that we can, in creative ways, in straight ways, in every way, we would see more and more people come to faith, more and more people receive their salvation. And we pray that you would remove from us as well the understanding of fault, the desire to blame, And we look to the cross and we know that all blame has been taken by you. Help us to receive all forgiveness now. Help us to change our ways. Help us to point the way to your son, Jesus Christ. And inspire us by your spirit. And I really do pray now that we would feel that love of you just fall on us. That love of you fall on us. But it wouldn't be just for us now. It would be to share. It would be to take out and bless others. In the name of Jesus, your son. Amen.